0: back to our study of Ruth. So if you've got a Bible with you, which I hope you do, uh, open with me to chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 2, and we'll begin reading at verse 18, and I will read through the end of the chapter. So, um, Ruth chapter 2, at verse 18, you follow as I read. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relative of ours, one of our closest relative or one of our close relatives. Ruth, the Moabitess, said, he also said to me, you shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, that endures forever forever. Um, guys, the name Paul Tripp, uh, rings the bell around here, uh, for some of you, maybe not all of you, but Paul Tripp, at least, um, in the mind of most of us, at least on staff, we, we, we would consider him probably the leading spokesman in, in the world of Christian counseling alive today. He is, um, he's quite a bright boy and, and, uh, it's in print, gosh, 10, 15 times, just, but anyway, I I say that to say that um, in one of his books, Paul Tripp suggests that that many Christians um, have what he calls location amnesia. Location amnesia. Now, now here's what he means by um, location amnesia. When people are suffering, when people are in pain or under trial or in the midst of trial, in, in, in whatever way, they tend to forget um, they tend to forget that this is not heaven. Um we forget where we are. We're um we're confronted Every day, with the sights and the sounds of a, of a world that is in distress, creation groans. It groans under the weight of our sin. It groans under the weight of sin. Ever since Genesis 3, when sin entered and, and what occurred was this cosmic car wreck that has Scarred us all. Everything's broken. We're broken. The world is broken. It's all broken. And in the midst of our pain, we've, we tend to forget that. We tend to forget that, that this is not heaven. Oh, no. No, this is the place that's been marred and scarred by sin. Larry Crabb uh, wrote a book entitled Shattered Dreams that, I, that, that has a lot to say about Ruth. You might want to read it. It's, it's pretty good. But in that book, um, he, he gives a quote from one of his counselees. And I want you to hear this. I mean, because I, I wonder if any of us can relate to what this man is saying. And I'm, I'm quoting. This guy says this. It, it, at least it's authentic. <laughs> he said, When God does so little about things that matter so much to me, I have no categories for understanding God's statement that He loves me. I know Calvary is God's supreme expression of His love. I'm grateful that my sins are forgiven and I'm going to heaven. And I know all these troubles are somehow useful for good purposes. Maybe necessary for making me a more godly person. But listen, but I can't get past the thought that real love wouldn't let me suffer like this. There are times in life when it would be easier to not believe in God at all than to believe in him and wonder where he is. You know, guys, I, I am I bet Naomi felt a bit like that on on this day that is being described in chapter two. She's bitter, she says so. And um, she's forgotten where she is. And she'd like to know where he is. Um, guys, I, I want to make sure that you know where we are in this story. Um, I, I read to you beginning at verse 18, but um, verses 18 through 23 are describing the evening of the day that started in verse two of chapter two. You remember the day started out in chapter two with Ruth going to her mother-in-law and asking for her permission for her to go find some work. To which Naomi responds very curtly with two Hebrew words, go, daughter because Naomi is immobilized by her own bitterness and pain. So much so that she can do nothing for herself. Ruth has to take the bull by the horns. She's the one that has to go out and, 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 and try to find something for them to eat. Because Ruth can't. I mean, Naomi can't. Or at least Naomi won't. Um... Naomi's pain has paralyzed her. She does absolutely nothing. You could say, you could say she's, you could almost say she's dead. But then, while all this good of verses 3 through 17 is taking place that Naomi does not know about yet, Naomi is at home spending an anxious day worried about lots of things, um, worried about Ruth. In fact, verse 22 seems to suggest she's worried about her physical safety, but she's worried about things like, did she find a place to glean? I mean, no harvest in 10 years tends to make people forget Charity. Gleaning laws? What are those? What will we eat? Will we eat at all? Naomi can't see it. Or at least for another, a few more hours, she can't see it. But Aslan is on the move. Now, guys, I've said that four or five times, and I hope you know what I mean when I say Aslan. That's C.S. Lewis's figure in the Chronicles of Narnia about God about Christ Aslan Naomi can't see it yet but Aslan is on the move guys chapter 2 is a turning point in this whole story it's where hope resurges Naomi is in essence resurrected God is vindicated, at least partially, which is called a theodicy, by the way. But here's what happens as our text unfolds. The, the workday is over. The sun is beginning to set, and, and Ruth makes her way back into the city carrying a bushel of barley. She trudges home after perhaps a 16-hour workday She gets to the place where she and Naomi are staying, holding a bushel of barley. She kicks at the front door and and an anxious Naomi opens the door. And there stands Ruth with enough food for both of them for a couple of weeks. Naomi is flabbergasted and, 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 and as a result, out rushes this torrent of questions, uh, this rapid-fired set of questions that is, that is born of excitement. And she says, where did you get that? You didn't steal it, did you? I mean, who did you work for? Ruth, you didn't trade something else for that food, did you? Ruth giggles with pleasure and excitement and assures Naomi that everything's on the up and up. And then she pulls out this little doggy bag that is mentioned in verse 14. That was what was left over after she was satisfied when she ate her meal (coughs) with Boaz. She pulls out the doggy bag and two giddy women dance around the room. Finally, Ruth tells Naomi The man's name. She says, The man in whose field I gleaned, his name was um, Boaz. And suddenly, Naomi stops her dancing. Her jaw drops open. Did you say Boaz? That was a name that Naomi had not heard for 10 years. And even the mention of the name sends this, this thrill through her soul. Now, guys, that all brings us to verse 20. And verse 20, I I think it's safe to say, is pretty much the apex of the story. It's the apex of the story for a couple of three reasons. First of all, you'll notice in verse 20 that she uses the name, that is, Naomi uses the name Yahweh. Anytime you find the name Lord, L-O-R-D, in all caps, the Hebrew word behind that is the word, the Hebrew tetragrammaton, Yahweh. Yahweh. Naomi uses the name Yahweh, God's covenantal name. That's the name that was given to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 in that whole burning bush incident. It was a name that was so revered among Israel that they never took it lightly. They revered it so much that when a scribe, when a scribe was copying the Bible, every time he came to the, to the name Yahweh, he would lay down his pen, he would get up, he would go take a bath, and then he would come back and write the name. Imagine how clean he would be if the name Yahweh appeared four times in the same verse or the same paragraph. He would bathe every time before he ever wrote the name. The other word that is so critical to this verse 20 is the Hebrew word hesed, it's the word that is translated, at least in my translation, as the word kindness. Gang, no two words in the entire Old Testament are more important than those two words, Yahweh and Hesed. Now gang, you're going to have to allow me a, just a brief excursus to tell you some things about the word Hesed some of you are thinking, oh no, this is one of those academic preacher talk things. It's not. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. You'll see its beauty before we're done this morning. The word has said, because it has such a wide lexicological range, there is no exact English equivalent The word appears 200 times, over 200 times in the the Old Testament and is translated variously by the English words kindness, faithfulness, mercy, goodness, loyalty, and steadfast love. To, To arrive at a good working definition of the word, you'd have to combine all of that. And here's what we've come up with. Has said... Is the consistent, ever faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, furious love of God the Father. Having entered a covenant relationship with his people, God bound himself to act towards his people in certain ways. And he is utterly faithful to his self-commitment, to Hesed. Guys, there's a scene in the book of Hosea. If you know anything about the book of Hosea, that's where this uh, prophet Hosea is told to go marry this prostitute by the name of Gomer. Gomer has been a prostitute in Israel. And the whole, the whole point of the book is that Israel has been such a prostitute. She has been an adulteress before, Yahweh. But there's a statement in in the book of Hosea, chapter 10, verse 8, where God says, having seen her in her adultery, Yahweh says, but how can I give you up? Do you know why he says that? Because of Hesed. Gang, the word Hesed appears in the Psalms over a hundred times. In Psalm 136 alone, it appears 26 times and is translated, His mercy endures forever. In Psalm 23, the Psalm that we all know, it appears in verse 6, which says, Surely goodness and mercy. Has said will follow me all the days of my life. Gang, even when his people had sinned, sinned against Yahweh and faced the consequences of their sin, even then God's people still appeal to the Lord's has said for <coughs> me. The, the, the author of the book of Lamentations which, as you know, is Jeremiah, in the midst of watching the destruction of Jerusalem in about 586 B.C., surrounded by the evidence of God's inflexible hatred of sin and his determination to judge wickedness and rebellion, Jeremiah casts himself on the unchanging character of God where he affirms The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Hesed of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies. Never come to an end. Why? Because of Hesed. Also, if an, on an individual basis, if an individual Jew was known for his loyalty to Yahweh, he was called a Hasid. In fact, the Hasidim, which is just the plural of Hasid, there is a group that is considered the most devoted to Yahweh in Judaism today, and they are called the Hasidim, reflective of this same word, Hasid. Now, back to the story. Naomi has just witnessed her daughter-in-law walking in the house with a bushel of barley. She pulls out a doggy bag. They dance around the room. Then Ruth says it was Boaz uh, in whose field I gleaned. Naomi stops her dancing. And all of a sudden, for the first time in this story... Naomi's soul comes alive. On the inside, she's quivering, as her soul is afire and she says to Ruth, "Ruth, this is this is has said. This is Yahweh's has said." This is Yahweh's unremitting loyalty to his people. This is Yahweh's covenant summarized in one Hebrew word has said, and her lips quiver and her eyes begin to moisten. Guys, do you remember what she said in chapter 1, verse 21? When she said to the, to the city, don't, don't, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Pleasant. Call me Mara because I'm bitter. Because the Lord has afflicted me. And in the midst of my affliction, I thought he had deserted me. But now I see. hasn't she looks down at a bushel of barley and she says this is Yahweh's has said something that in the midst of my own pain and suffering I had forgotten just like we do. Guys, there is still one more word in in verse 20 that shakes the very foundation of this book. It's in verse 20 and it is the word, it's the Hebrew word, goel. and, And many of your the, the, the margins of your Bibles will point out that it's the Hebrew word goel, our kinsman redeemer. Now, guys, once again, the English translations struggle to find an exact English equivalent. They struggle to translate that one Hebrew word goel well. If you have an ESV, which so many of you do, the English Standard Version, This is how the ESV translates Goel. They translated a close relative, one of our redeemers. The ESV uses seven words to try and translate one Hebrew word. My translation, the New King James, uses eight. Eight words to try and communicate to the reader. What this Goel thing is. Okay, then what is it? What does it mean? What does it do? Guys, a, a, a Goel is just a part of, of, of a concept of family law found in Israel. A Goel was a male family member with a variety of duties. Listen, um, a Goel was a, was a male who had duties that were expected for him to fulfill uh, obligations when and if ever necessary. It was a provision of Levitical law to prevent any family of Israel from ever permanently losing their allotted portion of the promised land. But that was not the only function of the goel. I want to read you of another one. It's found in Deuteronomy 25. Let me just read it to you. It starts in verse 5. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duties of a husband's brother to her. Listen to this. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Do you understand that, guys? Another one of the duties, another one of the duties of the Goel was this. If a brother died before he had fathered sons, his brother or another close relative, was to take the widow and to have a male child with her. That male child was then regarded as the son of the dead man. So that his name might not ever be lost in Israel. The Goel had the right and the duty to buy back ancestral lands if a family had lost it. And everything that came with that land In the instance of this story, it contained in the book of Ruth, there is a complication—a complication for the goel. Not only were was there land involved, but there was also a woman, and not just any woman. But a woman of a despised race, a woman who was a Moabite, Israel's enemy, surely, surely the laws of Goel would not apply to a, to a Moabite. Boaz has the right. But why would he ever exercise it? Who wants a Moabitess for a wife? And those Levitical laws? What good were they in a time when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes? Ladies and gentlemen, don't miss this. The law was not the compelling issue in this instance. If Boaz acts, if he acts to play the role of Goel, to enter into an interracial marriage, It will be because of sheer grace. And not only that, if he acts, it will be at great personal expense to himself. But there is no doubt. that he has the ability to come to their aid. But will he? And the narrator of this story closes chapter two leaving in the minds of his readers that very question. Will a redemption price be paid for a Moabite? Is there a Goel who can deliver them? That's where chapter two quits. Guys, just for a minute, turn your attention away from Boaz and onto Jesus Christ, who also has the ability to come to our aid. But will he? Why would he want to take us as his bride? Will a redemption price be paid for someone as undeserving as we are? Is there a goel? can ransom captive Israel? And the gospel answers with an emphatic yes. Ladies and gentlemen, the gospel announces that God has provided A goel for his people, and he is our relative, he is our kinsman redeemer, and his name is Jesus Christ. God has shown, has said, to the undeserving God has has provided a husband for an unclean flawed unfaithful bride Guys, the fullness of Yahweh's has said is seen in the cross. It is on the cross that the true Hasid, Jesus Christ Himself, the only human ever truly loyal to Yahweh, it was on the cross where the Hasid was treated as the Covenant breaker and cursed for sin so that we who are unfaithful might be clothed in his faithfulness and be brought into a saving, everlasting, eternal union with Jesus Christ. We become His bride. Ladies and gentlemen, the Lord has said, will never let us go. But not because we're faithful, but because he is. Listen. In the midst of all of my trial all of my suffering, all of my pain, all of this heartache, we can cry out to a faithful God that refuses to let us go. A faithful God for whom nothing in all of creation can separate us from his loyal love who chose us before the foundations of the earth is sanctifying us in the present and will faithfully bring us to himself in our eternal home. Where is he? When this day began a woman overwhelmed with her own pain and suffering. Naomi wanted to know where is he? And before the day is ended, she saw once again. The Hesed of Yahweh, and so will we, and so will you. Our Father, would you remind us through this story that there is something far more at stake here than our pain. That what is at stake is your faithfulness to your own self-commitment. That we are secure not because we are bright and beautiful and cute and cuddly. We're secure because of the everlasting commitment of Yahweh Father for my brother or sister who at this moment is enduring things that they don't want to endure would you remind them through Naomi that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases Great is your faithfulness. Lord, if you brought people here today who have not yet met our Savior, would you show them the great beauty of our covenant keeping God? We pray, of course, in His name.